I, first of all, I want to say two separate lots of thanks. I mean, one to everybody at Birkbeck who's been involved with inviting me here and getting out the publicity at this end, which has done a spectacular job. And it's a real honour to come back here and to see so many old and new, but so many faces and friends that I recognise. That's really terrific. And then I want to take this opportunity to say an enormous thank you to OUP, first of all, for having the confidence to publish the book in the first place, and then for doing um, a production and publicity number on it, which is really second to none. It is so wonderfully produced that even if you just you know, want to pick up a copy and, and stroke it, do. Um, but I, I could not be happier with absolutely everything to do with this book coming into being. And I think technically the official publication date is tomorrow, but I have really enjoyed the fact that the celebrations are starting now. So I'm going to talk for about half an hour. And what I'm going to do is to give an overview of some of the things that have interested and excited me most when writing the book, and some of the things, if you do read it, to, to look out for. This is not an autobiographical account of how I came to write it, and it is not a chapter by chapter. And so, in chapter seven, I move on to talk about um, work at all. Happy, of course, to give outlines of, of either. But I start off where the, the book itself starts off. Um, it's possible I don't know how to manipulate something that is not a map. So does that give you a next idea? Yes. So all photography requires light. But the sudden intrusive light of flash photography is unique. It's quite unlike that illumination that comes from the sun or even from artificial lighting. Flash is the first book to tell the history of flash photography and its effects and associations in a way that isn't technical or to do with flashlighting one particular thing. It's in a, I tell the story in a way that links it to the broader history of photography. Flash photography breaks down familiar categories and hierarchies because it's used across the board. It's used for fine artwork, for news photography, for amateur snapshots. It's been used, as here, to reveal shocking social conditions. It puts on display the most overlooked corners of everyday life. Paparazzi chase celebrities with flash. Large public events and intimate family occasions are captured through flash. Flash is used to record and detect crime and its aftermath. What's more, flash is used not just to illuminate darkness, but also to, so to speak, stop time. It allows one to photograph rapidly moving objects. So in this book, I ask, what is it that makes flash photography so distinctive? I asked, too, about Flash's associations, like the connection of Flash with memory. I traced the photographic origins of the cinematic flashback. I think about things like flash drives and flashbulb memories. 
So my history is really about several things. It's about a piece of technological apparatus, or rather about successive pieces of apparatus used to provide enough illumination to take an effective photograph in a particular place at a particular time when there wouldn't otherwise be enough light to do so. It's concerned with the practice of flash photography and the uses to which it's been put. And more provocatively, it's about light, light itself and its relationship to time. How long is a flash? What happens if a flash is too bright, as with the biggest flash of all, that of the atomic bomb? So in a moment, I'm going to elaborate on four specific features, and I want to locate them in various phases of flash photography's history. The sense of astonishment and awe that flash photography originally evoked, flash's capacity to stop time, its ability to light up dark places and to reveal things that might otherwise not easily be seen, if at all, and finally, its association with violence and aggression and invasiveness and interruption. But first, a little history. The history of flash goes right back to the early days of photography, when people tried using first limelight and then brightly burning magnesium to provide illumination. And I think this is the very first photograph to be taken with flash. It was taken by limelight in 1839. It's a daguerreotype of a fossil. In most circumstances, limelight produced over-bleached images. So people also tried using magnesium, burnt as a wire in order to take pictures of caves, blown in powder through a flame. It produced better images, but it was expensive and unreliable. Then, all importantly, in 1887, a compound flash powder using magnesium and some other substances was invented by a couple of German chemists. It could be exploded in flash guns, very early ones even looked like a crude pistol. It could be ignited on a tray, it was available for do-it-yourself mixing, it was supplied on impregnated sheets, it was made into little explosive devices, rather like tea bags. And then the flash bulb, pioneered in the late 1920s, came into more general use around 1930, and its ease and portability completely transformed news journalism. The earliest cheap cameras with synchronised flash dated from around 1940, and then after that, a line stretches from little flash bulbs to flash cubes, to the electronic flash, an LED light, that is now a built-in part of um, a cell phone, that bright burst of light that one gets. These developments overlapped, and there are many variants to be found within flash's technology. What remains constant is the linking of flash photography in advice manuals, in specialist <coughs> publications, in advertising, with the idea of the modern, 
even indeed the flashy. It's now, it's new, it's Flash Cube. There was a TV advertisement, I suggest Googling it, in the 1960s, linking it to the dance floor and the swinging 60s. And then Sylvania Flashbulb Publicity even offered the homemaker for $3 and a coupon a foam rubber Sylvania um, pop art pillow. You can make your home swing for practically no money at all. You can imagine how excited I was when I got one on eBay. <laughs> but before I turn to these four categories, I want to make the important point, and it's one that's excited me all the way through my research, that flash photography is a practice that overturns something of what we think we know about photography. In flash photography, the exposure is based on the very brief flaring of an intense light, not on the opening and closure of a shutter, according to the strength of continuously available light sources. I mean, so if you think of the classic notion of photography, uh, photography is a moment suddenly seized from time. With flash photography, you've made the light, you've made the event, you've made the moment. It causes a sudden interruption. It bursts into darkness. It's human made. What's more, if it so easily happens in flash photography, the light gets reflected in a window pane or a polished surface, once directly reminded of the artifice and technology involved in the illumination. And we see this too when the flash results in a kind of bleached out foreground or the flooding of plate or film with light. Occasionally, the flash itself appears, as here you can see the, the hand of the photographer just on the edge of the picture. Or here, where there is a remote flash pinned to the upper um, corner there, John Collier's photograph of the Lopez family in Trampas. When it's so obvious that flash has been used, we can no longer believe in that fiction that somehow the lens of the camera functions as the photographer's eye. Indeed, at the very moment of taking the flash photograph, if she's close to her instrument, the photographer is going to have her vision blinded just as much as the people in the image. The eruption of flash can disrupt subject and photographer alike. And that's something that's used to great effect, of course, near the end of Hitchcock's rear window. So let's look in more detail at four central features of flash photography. Let's start with that shockingly bright explosion of light itself and its capacity for creating astonishment. So flashes of light have long been associated with sudden inspiration and clarity. Think of the revelation of St Paul on the road to Damascus. In the early decades of flash photography, some of its practitioners quite directly appropriated this sense of quasi-divine revelation, especially if they were seeking to use flash 
to expose deplorable social conditions. Sir Jacob Rees, for example, working as an investigative journalist in New York in the late 1880s, saw himself, as he took up this new technology, as providing illumination. And the transcendental overtones of his vocabulary helped to underscore its significance as an instrument of intervention and purgation. I hate darkness and dirt anywhere and naturally want to let in the light. In those early decades of flash photography, commentators looked for the right language in which to describe it. If a theologically based vocabulary suited some of its ends, if occasionally it was called bottle sunlight, the most pervasive metaphor used to describe flash was the phenomenon of lightning. For lightning startles, shocks, interrupts the moment. Or rather, it creates it in a sudden instant of illumination, just like flash, rendering everything around preternaturally clear by contrast to that surrounding darkness. Lightning was commonly used in romantic art and writing to invoke awe, grandeur, the sublime, the unknowable, or here, as if caught by the photographer's flashlight, the shocked. Looking to borrow the connotations of this electrical energy, Adolf Mieter and Johannes Geidecker, who invented that first flash powder, called it Blitzlichtpulver, or lightning light powder. And lightning has long continued to feature in the advertising of flashbulbs and cameras. Indeed, there's probably a little lightning bolt signifying flash on your cell phone right now. The artificial flash and the flash of lightning seem superficially very close. Indeed, they're compressed and amalgamated in this deliberately brief poem by Bill Knott. Photographs. Lightning bolts which their shadows having caught up with them, perish. Yet in fact, lightning and the photographic flash are very different. Lightning is unpredictable, uncontrollable in its occurrence and location. Representing lightning inevitably means at being at some kind of distance from it. Flash photography gives no such distance. It's often literally in your face. In other words, flash doesn't live up to the awe-inspiring expectations set up for it through a comparison with lightning, above all because it is a product of human agency. But exploring the differences between the two helps us understand what's significant about flash as a form of illumination. And it also brings home that long-lasting desire to make grandiose claims for the almost divine properties of technological invention, even as it's coupled with the innovative and the modern. As I said, the technology of flash is about speed as well as about light. And that word flash is so commonly used in all kinds of contexts, not necessarily just visual ones, to indicate the extremely short 
or the transitory or the spontaneous, like flash mobs and flash floods and flash fiction. The two meanings of the word signify speed and light converge in high-speed photography. Photography pioneer Fox Talbot in 1851 was the very first to patent the use of a spark to capture a moving object. And that experiment was said to have been suggested by the way that lightning flash at night seems to freeze drops of rain or seems to freeze water playing in a fountain. I wish there was visual evidence for this. There isn't. We have to work and wait until the work of Arthur Worthington in the late 19th century, who showed us what a splash really looks like. And then, most notably, for those beautiful photographs produced by Harold Edgerton in the mid-20th. And Edgerton's high-speed images, enabled by very high-speed bursts of light from electrically controlled neon tubes, created the illusion of stopped motion, milk drops falling, bullets piercing playing cards or balloons, golfers and tennis players swinging at balls. These photographs break down distinctions between science and art, and they reveal far more than is ever available to the human eye. They're a really powerful manifestation of what Walter Benjamin calls the optical unconscious. High-speed flash continues today to be used by photographers to create eye-catching and arresting effects. Japanese photographer Shinichi Mariyama, for example, has produced images by throwing ink and water into the air, capturing the forms as they fall. Ori Gersh's work simultaneously freezes old master paintings and references Harold Edgerton when he shows a bullet exploding a freeze-dried pomegranate. Um, it just goes into this airy ball of shards. Hiroshi Sugimoto's theatre series, consisting of long exposure photographs taken in cinemas, which produce images of a plain, extremely bright white light on the screen, are in some ways the antithesis of flash, of course. He keeps his lens open for two or more hours, the length of a movie, and so the end result is this gleaming blank rectangle. It's a composite image, but it's also a reminder of those many, 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 many flashes that go to make at least a pre-digital motion picture. It's a film distilled into a flash. What's more, as Sugimoto puts it, this is not simply white light. It is the result of too much information. And this last phrase can be seen, I think, as a rebuff to the speed with which we're invited to view, to experience, to consume, and not to reflect. And so it's a rebuke to the continual demands on our attention made by the rapid interruptions of technological modernity. Because Flash's relationship to time has always been a double-edged one. It allows us to see the beauties of a moment that we could never visually process without mechanical aids. But it's also been continually associated, especially in the second half of the 20th century and beyond, with a kind of here today, gone tomorrow speediness of superficial consumer culture. 
In other words, somehow, Flash has never quite thrown off its more dubious associations with flashiness and superficiality. But we think of it so much in terms of lighting up dark places. I've already talked a bit about Jacob Rees's desire for social illumination and transformation that he thought flash photography could bring about. And this is something he shared with other documentarians like Lewis Hine, or with one of the earliest American women photojournalists, Jessie Tarbox Beals, who exposed both the despair of poverty and the drive towards respectability that she saw in the tenements of Newark, New Jersey. It's in relation to documentary that we encounter most starkly Flash's most singular and most contradictory aspects. On the one hand, we have its impetus towards revelation, its capacity to render visible what would otherwise just not be seen, and on the other, its associations with unwelcome intrusion. Documentary work brings out another further notable characteristic of flash photography, which is its impetus towards the democratic, giving equal weight to all the elements of any interior. Because especially in the early years of its use, it couldn't very easily be controlled. So many details often take on a completely unplanned prominence. So a sudden flare of light reveals every single kitchen utensil or every photograph on a mantel shelf or every image hanging or pasted on the walls, each cherished ornament, each little heap of waste paper, every discarded rag, every piece of polished furniture or stained floor, every accumulation of dust, every shiny button, button, every wrinkle. Flash can bring something out of obscurity. It can reveal details never fully available to those who experience them on a daily basis. And it can do so as here, whilst once again revealing itself. This giving equal prominence to objects in an apparently random, random assemblage is one major way in which Flash's usefulness has been invoked for visual anthropology, a term pioneered by the FSA photographer John Collier, who's seen here flaring his Flash at a dressing table of objects in a Pueblo home. The detail that Flash gives us can deepen our knowledge of a material environment and of the lives of those who live there. Much of the fascination of early flash photographs comes precisely from this privileged access to the lives of others. Flash, as well as being responsible for a violent interruption, allowed for the representation and the preservation of the ordinary of what Jacques Francier in his thesis beautifully terms the apprehension of the inexhaustible historicity found at every street corner, in every skin fold, at every moment of time. Flash, that is to say, is associated not just 
with the rapid explosion of light, not just with that momentary interruption, but with enabling a form of attentive looking turned upon everyday surroundings. Now, the invention of the flashbulb made documenting interiors even easier, something that we see reflected in the archives of the FSA, the Farm Security Administration, from the 1930s and early 1940s. The flashbulb also gave much more control. While flash readily makes visible every last stain and scratch, it can also work to emphasise cleanliness and respectability. Some of the FSA photographers, though, were really reluctant to use flash, and this brings us to the last of the areas that I want to talk about, flash's association with violence, aggressive, aggression and invasiveness. So what, if anything, might justify flashes invasion, unexpected interruption into everyday daily lives. Among the FSA photographers, Dorothea Lang saw its use as very invasive. Then Sean expressed his doubts both about photographing somebody's private space and also his doubts about flashes aesthetics. When some of the people came in and began to use flash, I thought it was immoral. You know, you come into a sharecropper's cabin and it's dark, but flash destroyed that darkness. It's true that a flash would actually illuminate the comic papers that they used to paste on their walls. But what made the biggest impact, he said, was not actually the kind of the poverty that leads one to um, paper the walls with comics, but something less tangible, something that was much less an easy object of record. It was the darkness, the glistening of the eyes, the glistening of a brass ornament on the top of the big bed, you know, a glass, a mirror that would catch the light. That's a matter of personal judgment, he said, whether you divulge everything or whether things are kept mysterious as they are viewed. So this refusal to use flash was in part a question of ethics, but it was in part a question of aesthetics as well, a desire to grant darkness its own mysterious qualities. Mind you, for many of those mid-century photographers who wanted to see themselves as artists, the distinction between the natural and the artificial origins of light became crucial. This, in the mid-20th century, was the time of fetishizing the idea of available light. Cartier-Bresson advised no photographs taken with the aid of flashlight, either, if only out of respect for the actual light, even where there is not any of it. And he said that to use the flash is impolite, like coming to a concert with a pistol in your hand. Perhaps more, more interesting to me is Roger Carava, the African-American photographer, who said, I don't try and alter light, which is why I never use flash. I hate it with a passion because it obliterates what I saw. 
And of course the flashbulb was associated not with art photography, but with press photographers, with photographing crime. It greatly enhanced the ability of press photographers to work at night. And so it consolidated those associations of flash, newspaper photographs, and the documentation of crimes committed under the cover of darkness. It could also be used for detection. Flash was increasingly used by police forces and by journalists for recording crimes and criminals. It inspired a whole lot of detective fiction and film. Really recommend George Harmon Cox's novels featuring Flash Casey, and perhaps recommend them more strongly than the TV series Man with a Camera, sponsored by the makers of Sylvania flashbulbs and a huge plug for them, so much so that Charles Bronson, the star, complained, bitterly complained, that by the tenth week I realised I was playing second banana to a flashbulb. <laughs> but nobody more famously brought flash and crime and the senior sides of everything together than the figure of Ouija, recording murders, accidents, arrests. His self-publicity was absolutely synonymous with his graphic speed graphic and the flash synchronizer to the extent that he once photomontaged himself into a flashbulb. <coughs> Even Ouija, though, I think, despite his reliance on the flash gun, expressed some ambiguity about its powers, because the frontispiece to his 1945 photo book, Naked City, suggests, through visual irony, that he knew that it was possible to stand back from Flash's illumination and acknowledge a potentially more sublime electrical Force. So I think this is a rare and telling moment of humility on Ouija's part, because overall his work added to the growing association of flash with aggression and intrusiveness, especially in the hands of the rapacious and the sensation-seeking news photographer, and yes, in the hands of the paparazzi. The popping of flashbulbs has become visual shorthand for the achievement of fame or notoriety. This firing off a barrage of light can be a really terrifying assault. Just think of King Kong, captured, brought to New York City, exhibited on stage, and then thrown into this complete aggressive frenzy by those flashbulbs that go off, that are set off by the photographers there. Paparazzi flash has come to equal unwelcome exposure. And paparazzi themselves have, I think, come to exemplify the worst ex um, excesses of the exploitative and invasive photographer, caring for nothing other than hunting down the shot. So in conclusion, I'm going to ask, however, can flash photography be redeemed in all kinds of ways. If flash photography retains the power to disturb us today, 
it's largely because we do think of it as invading our private space, hurting our eyes, breaking into whatever we're looking at or thinking about. By and large, photographic flash has by now completely lost its novelty. It's certainly lost its association to the sublime for most of us. It's now a finely tuned means of creating and controlling light, not just illuminating darkness, but providing full flash or intensifying colour. I have to say it also became a lot less interesting to write about for those reasons. <laughs> However pragmatic this might be, it's been at the expense of an aesthetics that's emphasised the surprising, the unpredictable and the revelatory. But in contemporary photography, Flash has recently come to have a really strong self-referential presence. Flash doesn't turn up in photos by accident. Photos come to be about Flash, often indeed calling attention to one or more of the major themes that I've raised, illumination, speed, valence, paparazzi. And sometimes photographers look to diminish its pejorative association. Sometimes they look to kind of pump them up, but still... They want to recapture some of its early properties. They want to show that it can still captivate and astound. Flash illumination registers most obviously when the photographer deliberately calls attention to that artifice. As here, or take Maya Dekahoff's picture, Family, from her series, Memory, which completely riffs off amateur mistakes. And via its title speaks to how difficult it can be to recollect a moment, except through a photograph. Because here I think that bleaching light stands for time's passage. It stands for the fading, obliterating effects of memory that family photography so desperately tries to deny. Quite different genre paparazzi work is appropriated by Cindy Sherman here, where she appears in Flash's sudden glare. Her expression is somewhere between surreptitious and angry, somewhere between Marilyn Monroe and Princess Di. Or consider the 2008 series by German artist Victoria Binstock. In pale greys and whites, her images show, very faintly, barely discernible, a celebrity actor walking through a crush of photographers entering their car. But celebrity and image may be said to be overexposed. You could say that this intense bleaching recalls that largest and most deadly form of flash, the flash of the nuclear bomb. The close relationship of flash photography to actual weaponry is explicitly referenced in British photographer Sarah Pickering's Celestial Object series. Unlike Harold Edgerton using strobe to turn the flight of a bullet into a disconcerting thing of beauty fired from rather than a display of force, Pickering opens her camera shutter and photographs the bullet fired from a revolver in the complete dark. All the light comes from the explosion itself. In her use of darkness and flame, the blur of light and the white 
hot core of gunpowder's ignition, she returns flash photography, I think, to that unpredictable, thrilling category of the sublime. And indeed, the raw power of electrical discharge is still being used by photographers. Florence Noisos made his Nachtbilder, his night photos, by leaving sheets of photographic paper out at night in thunderstorms so that they carry the impress of images made by lightning. And Sukimoto's Lightning Fields project deliberately harks back to earlier technological experimentation, like Truvelo's studies of sparks, as well as through its title evoking that potential for natural sublimity inherent in Walter de Maria's New Mexican installation. As with Noisus's work, no camera was involved in Sugimoto's lightning fields. He introduced the Van de Graaff generator into his studio. He captured on film its 400,000 volt electrical charges. The end results look like streaks of lightning branching off root-like from an incandescent um, spinal core or they look like trees highlighted as bleached trunks and branches in a pitch-dark landscape, or they look like forms of primeval life turning and sending out tendrils of new growth in swirling water. So, in the cultural history of flash photography that I've outlined, we've seen how it's been used for practical ends, for journalism, for documentary work, for fine art work. To be sure, flash is frequently irritating or invasive. And in the book, I show how these associations are taken up frequently in literature and in film. But as Sugimoto's lightning field suggests, the imaginative photographer can still turn sudden and surprising light to thought-provoking ends. Despite the bad press that flash photography has received, and at times really quite justifiably, over the century and a half since its invention, something of its original wonder can still very effectively, I think, be reclaimed. <laughs>